Well, thank you, another powerful song. God is on our side. What a blessing. Open your Bible, please, the book of Psalms, number one. Fellow didn't know how to pronounce it and called it the Pizams. So, Pizams number one. All right. Psalm number one. As soon as you find it, stand up, if you will, and we'll read God's Word here together. Psalm number one, please. Verse number one, follow with me as we read the Word of God. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. That's a wonderful thought there. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Thank you, and you may be seated. The subject this morning is a blessed life. Actually, that's our theme for the entire month of January. I thought it would be a wonderful thing to focus upon being a blessing and having the blessing of God upon our lives as we begin this new year of 2017. So I guess I would have a question for you this morning. Do you want a blessed life? I mean, does that mean anything to you today? Really, does that mean something, or is it just rhetoric used by a preacher as he stands here on a Sunday morning in sort of a ho-hum type of reception in your heart? Or do you really want to be blessed of God? If you do, then this passage right here tells us specifically how we can have that blessing upon our life. And I think that everybody here probably answered my question affirmatively. Probably everybody said, why, sure, Pastor, what in the world? Why would I not want God's blessing upon my life? We all want that. That's a universal hunger, is it not? That the God who is there, the God of eternity, the Creator God, that He would bless us. This month, though, I've tried to focus on a depth of meaning that you find in those words, bless and blessing and blessed. And I mentioned to you in a previous message how that Jacob and Esau came before their father to receive the blessing that the Hebrew fathers gave to their children, their oldest sons specifically. And Jacob had already received the blessing. And Esau twice cried out with these words, Father, is there not a blessing for me? He knew the blessing had already been given to his brother, but 
He wanted a blessing. He hungered for a blessing. Father, is there not a blessing for me also? So that ought to be the cry of mine in your heart today. Father, is there not a blessing for us also, for me? And I can tell you, God wants to bless his children. Now, in the two previous messages, just a one-minute review here, but in the two previous messages, I've discussed more what the words blessed, blessing, and blessed mean, and how to be a blessing to people. And last week, I told you there are three ways that we can bless other people, that our life can be a blessing. Number one, we can bless people with our speech, with our words. And throughout the Bible, we find that those Hebrew and Greek words have the idea of of being a blessing. It's like speaking a benediction over people. And one of those Greek words actually is the word for eulogy. And we usually think of eulogies at funerals. But the truth is, is Christ took up little children, put them on his lap, and put his hands on their head. And then it says he blessed them. And the word for blessing there, interestingly, is eulogy. He spoke a eulogy over the little children. It doesn't, obviously it was not a funeral, it was not a death, it was at the beginning of their life. But he he spoke good words over them. He encouraged them and lifted them up and prayed for them before the Lord. So we can be a blessing through our speech. Secondly, we can bless people through our service, through our service, our works. And the Lord Jesus even talked about if we give a cup of cold water in his name and the motivation of our heart is right, then of course he is going to reward us for that. And the third way we can bless is through sharing, through our wealth, through our speech, through our service, and through our sharing. Or if you want to use the W's, we can bless people through our words, through our work, and through our wealth, the sharing of our wealth. Now, today, though, I'm changing direction. I'm talking today about how to be blessed. Father, is there not a blessing for me? Yes, there is, to answer Esau's question. And let me give you another definition. I've given you several now. Let me give you another definition of what blessing means. To be blessed means to have God's power working in your life. I hope you'll write that down somewhere because I think we just treat this word so with such triviality. Somebody sneezes and we say, God bless you. Well, we don't really think about what those words mean. So this is a very important thing in our life. To be blessed is to have God's power working actively, not just passively, but actively working in our lives. And throughout the Bible, it talks about people that God blessed. God blessed Abraham. What does that mean? When I look in Abraham's life, I can see what it means. It means that God was actively blessing him. God's power was working actively in Abraham's life. And in so many people that it says that God blessed them. Now, I want you to look at verse 1. We're here in the book of Psalms. And I want you to note with me, number one, the blessed life and the blessed man here, a man who is being blessed of God in verse 1 of Psalm 1. Now, 
First, though, let me stop and say to you that Psalm number one is universally recognized as being one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. If you were going to mark down, make a listing of the great, great chapters of the Bible, the golden chapters of the Bible, you put down Genesis 1, Genesis 12, and you go through the Bible and you put John 3, and you would put Romans 8 and Romans several chapters in Romans probably, and you put down various passages throughout the Bible. Well, one of those golden chapters in the Bible that you ought to be very, very familiar with is Psalm number one. And we even memorized it one time here as a congregation a few years ago. And so it's a great, great chapter, and it's a chapter of contrast. In Psalm one, we see two men. We see a blessed man, and then we see an ungodly man down in verse number four. And secondly, we have another contrast in Psalm number one, because we have two ways, two ways that people walk. By way, I mean two roads of life that people take. And one of those is the road to blessing, and one of those is the road to judgment. And then, not only do we have two men and two ways, but notice with me, you have two destinies here, two destinies that people are going to end up in, one or the other of those. And so you, it's a psalm of contrast. And we start with the very word that's our theme, blessed, blessed. Now, here the word is a Hebrew word, esher, esher. And it has the idea of, of a state that people can enjoy in their life, a state of happiness. In fact, I studied and studied that word in as many sources as I had available to me. And what I've discovered is that the closest word we have in our English language to that word blessed is the word happy. But it's not exactly the same. In other words, the Hebrew word blessed here in your Bible is just a little bit different from any word that we really have, any one word we have in our English language. So it takes a number of words to properly define it. But the closest one word would be happy. Happy is the man that walketh not, and so on. Blessed. But as I said, happy is not the whole thing. Because first of all, the word is in a plural. And so you could read it like this. Many happinesses to the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So it's, it's repeated happiness, and not just a one-time happening to him that gives him happiness. It's continuous happiness, if you will, a plural word. And it means more than that even, though. It has the idea of having joy in your life. Anybody here today want joy in your life? And it has the idea of having peace in your life, to be contented throughout life. It has the idea of experiencing satisfaction, a deep satisfaction. Man, that's what I want in my life, don't you? I mean, anything else is almost secondary to having God, a sense of God's love and care and a sense of his peace and, and, and a deep-seated joy, even in the problems of life, of being contented and being satisfied. To have a life that's fulfilling, it's meaningful, that has purpose attached to it. That's, that's all involved here in this word, blessed, as it's used here in Psalm number one. Now, nobody can absolutely promise you that. If you think about the Declaration of Independence, one of our great historical documents, 
The Declaration of Independence reads like this, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, rights that were just God-given to us that nobody can take away. The, The Creator endowed us with that. He gave us those natural rights. That among those natural rights are what? Several things. Life. That's why we're strongly pro-life in this church. We don't back up or apologize to anybody about that. I mean, if you believe the Bible, you're pro-life. It's that simple. Because life is a gift of God. It's an inalienable right. One that no government can give you or take away from you. It's a natural right, a God-given right. Life. Secondly, liberty. And then isn't it interesting? It doesn't say happiness. It says the pursuit of happiness. Because nobody can guarantee you happiness on this earth. So our wonderful declaration uh, Declaration of Independence, it simply guarantees us the freedom to be able to pursue that in our life. Now, listen to me. Don't you want to pursue that in your life? Isn't that important that you have this wonderful, blessed life that I've tried to describe with so many different words here? Well, if you want that, Psalm 1's for you. You need to take notes. You need to get hold of this. You could even buy the CD or whatever, but get hold of this because God's Word tells us here, and it means more than all these words. Again, go back to that original thing that I said to you. It means to have God's power working in your life. In your life, God's power is not just for preachers and bishops and saints and all that. Rare, rare jewels of Christians. It's for you. God wants to bless you. You have to get hold of that today or the rest of this will just be sort of rhetoric to you. It means to have God's power working in your life. Man, I so crave that. I hunger for that, and I want you to hunger for that. It'll make us the right kind of church when we do. Now, we leave Psalm 1, and we can go over to Matthew chapter 5, where we we have what we call the Beatitudes in verses 10, 11, 12, on after that. And Jesus, of course, is teaching. And it's the most famous sermon in all of human history, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And what does the Beatitude mean? It means to bless. Jesus is blessing the people here with his words. He's pronouncing this eulogy, this benediction, these good words over these people that day to encourage and lift them up. And the word there is makarios, but it means the same thing as the word here in Psalm number one. It means to have God's power working in your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall... And Jesus goes on and talks about it. And every one of those things means that God is working in their life. God is actively working in their life. So understanding that, then what are the conditions for receiving that today? Well, let's look in our Bible because God tells us if you want to be blessed, if you want his power to work actively in your life, then let's find out what the conditions are for receiving it. First of all, there's a negative And then it's followed by a positive. And what is the negative? Well, it begins in verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not, there's the negative, in the counsel of the ungodly, 
nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And so we have a negative here. He talks about three kinds of people. You may want to underscore them in your Bible. First of all, the ungodly. The ungodly people. Now, what does it mean to be ungodly? To be ungodly, we talk about somebody saying, man, he is ungodly. He is a wicked person. You know, ungodly doesn't necessarily mean that you're a moral reprobate or that you are a terrible person. Your neighbor could live right beside you as an ungodly person and think you're okay. Think you're a pretty good person. If you go to church, they'd probably think you're a Christian. Because to be ungodly simply means to be without God. You know what the word we would, I would use to describe the ungodly? A secularist. A person who just doesn't have any room or any appetite for the things of God. They're, they're good moral people. They'd come over if somebody died and bring me a bowl of beans or whatever. But, but they just live their life as if there were no God. Their life is centered around them and their plans and their goals and their values. Ungodly. They live without God in their life. And the word is, don't walk with them. Don't walk with them. Now, when we talk, use the word walk as it's used here, we're talking about the, the course of life. And so we say, this man's walk, he walks with the Lord, for example, meaning he is close to the Lord. He's a devoted Christian. And so the Bible says, now don't walk with the ungodly. Don't, don't get too close to them. And notice what it says specifically about them. It says, blessed is the man that walketh not in their counsel. You don't get your advice from people that don't put God first in their life. You don't go to the secular world to get your advice. Where do people get their counsel today? ABC, NBC, uh, Fox and Friends. Um, what do you call those four women in the middle of the day that always got something heated going in the country? They get, people get their advice from stuff like that. Cosmopolitan, Newsday, Playboy, ungodly counsel, the Bible refers to it. Blessed, if you want to be blessed, you don't listen to those voices. You may hear them because you want to be well-informed, but at bottom line, you have to reject that counsel if you want the blessing, if you want God's power to be working in your life. Now, there's a second category of people, and the category there is the sinners. He says, don't stand with them. Your stand is the positions that you take in life. I admire his stand. Boy, he took a stand on, you see, that's your position. It's based upon your values. And sinners, ungodly people, can be good moral people. They just live like there's no God. But sinners actively practice evil. They practice sinful deeds and acts and use sinful words. And he says, don't take your stand with them. Don't stand with them. That's not your crowd. You don't want to be numbered with the sinners. You take your stand with righteous people, with God's people. You stand with them, and you reject the counsel of those who don't take the right stand. This is the basic Bible doctrine, what we call sanctification in the Old, 
it is the Old Testament version of sanctification. It also is what some people call separation, meaning there are people we can't yoke up with too closely. If we do, they will influence us. There's a third category mentioned there as you read down through that verse, the scorners. Who are the scorners? They're the people that mock God. They scorn the Christian religion. They deny the existence of God. They're the skeptics. They're the atheists. They're the agnostics. He said, don't sit with them. When we sit, that means we sit down and we fellowship with people. We stay. There's a, there's a relationship when you sit. Grandma used to say, come and sit and let's talk a while. Yeah, I know what she meant. It wasn't just sitting. It was a position of spending time with and having a relationship with. Three groups of people, it warns us, it cautions us. If you want the blessing of God, beware of the ungodly, the sinner, the scorner. Don't walk with them. Don't follow the same course of life they follow. Don't stand with them. Take the position that they take. It's not your position as a Christian. And don't sit with them. Don't make them your influencers. So he begins here with the negative. Now, here's the question probably running through your mind if you're thinking with me. Are we never to associate with unsaved people, with the ungodly and the scorners? Absolutely we are. Didn't your New Testament say that Jesus was the friend of sinners? Did Jesus spend time with these people? Yes, he did. But listen to me. Here's the difference. They never influenced him. He spent time with them purposefully and intentionally to be able to influence them. But here's the problem with us. If we are not careful with this right here, and that's why these cautions are up here to separate us, that we do not take the counsel or the positions of the people of this world, because when we do, we will think like them. When we think like them, we will act like them. When we act like them, our lives will be the same as theirs. And so he says, I want you to have a caution here. Be careful who influences you. Who are the primary? Let me ask you a question. Who this morning are the primary influencers in your life? Who are the primary influencers in your life? Well, let me tell you what this man says. Down the next verse, he's going to say, the primary influencer in my life is not even a person. It's a book. And I go there for my counsel. I go there for my positions to take my stand. If you want the blessed life, You've got to get the right counsel, the right advice, the right influencers in your life. Now, I want you to turn with me. Just keep your finger there. But I want you to turn over one book to the right, the book of Proverbs, chapter 13. And I could read it to you, quote it to you, put it on the screen. But I want you to look at it. Maybe you will even mark it in your Bible because it says everything I've been saying now And it says it in one little cogent, very pregnant, full of truth verse, a key verse I would hope that maybe you would even memorize sometime, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. Proverbs 13 and 20. 
What a verse, man. It is just pregnant with truth. Read it with me, everybody aloud together this morning in a good, strong voice. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. What a verse. How many times have I as a pastor sat down with a broken-hearted mom or dad? My child was really doing well, and they got with the wrong crowd. You ever heard that? They violated Proverbs 13, 20. Mom and dad, you may be resented for it, but it is your business who they hang out with. And you have the right to say, I don't want you hanging out with him. Or I don't want you hanging out with her. That's true of kids. What about us? When you get to my point in life, do people influence me? Absolutely. And can Satan not very subtly cause me to come under the influence of somebody that might not be healthy? I mean, yes. So this is a word for everybody in here from 8 to 80. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. If you walk with wise men, you can learn to be wise. If you're a companion of fools, if the fool is the one who influences you, and the Bible clearly defines a fool, if the fool is your influencer, you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to have the blessing of God. Now, the positive side of it, let's look at it, verse 2 and 3. The negative is you be very cautious. You be careful of your associations. You become like the people that you hang out with. But in verse 2 and 3, his commitment to the Word of God, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the Bible. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the river of water and so on. Look at verse 2 specifically with me. He's committed to the Word of God. Are you committed to the Word of God, my friend? I trust that you are. Notice it's a source of his inspiration here. His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, not his burden. He doesn't say, oh my, I have to read the Bible. No, it's his delight. He is committed to it, and it's the wellspring of his very being. It's not a burden, it's a, it's a delight. Notice secondly, it's not only the source of his inspiration, it's the source of, source of his information. He meditates in it day and night. He is thinking about it and cogitating on it. You know what the word meditate there, and I've told this many times, but there are new people who wouldn't know this but perhaps. The word meditate in the Hebrew comes from the same root word, where the cow eats the grass, and then she brings it up and ruminates, and she chews on it, and then she swallows it again, and then she brings it back up. And I don't know, how many cows, how many stomachs does a cow have? I'm not a veterinarian, but more than one. Now, don't look at me like I don't know what I'm talking about there. The cow has more than one stomach. 
And the cow can bring that back up, that cud we call it, C-U-D. And she keeps on chewing it over and over. Now that's the word the writer used here. He said, you read the word of God. You bring it back up to your mind. You chew on it. So in the morning, you read your verse from the Bible. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And you're thinking about it. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. A companion of fools will be destroyed. And through the day, I'm driving my car downtown. And I'm sitting in the line for lunch somewhere. And I'm going to the dry cleaners to pick up my cleaning or laundry. And I'm driving home. And throughout the day, just over and over, I just bring it up. And I keep thinking about it. I try to find one verse in my Bible reading every day that I can, that I can ruminate on, that I can meditate on. I can bring it up and keep thinking. It's, it's, it's like it's the key verse from, that, from the, that day's reading. And so it's the source of his information. Now, we use the word worldview around here a lot. In fact, it, you're hearing it more and more everywhere. But Christian churches use that term to mean your worldview is the way that you interpret life. The way that I look at the events of the day, whether it be Clemson winning the national championship, huh? I got a whole Clemson session, section right back here I know about I thought they'd be wearing orange robes today, and you, disip- you let me down. But whether it be a sports event, or whether it be the inauguration of a president, or whether it be a terrorist attack, we interpret the events of the world, of life, through some worldview. And so a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is a person who interprets the events of life through a biblical worldview. He or she has been reading their Bible, meditating, and when information comes into their brain, they interpret that information through the Scripture, what they've been reading and thinking about and meditating on. And so here we put a big emphasis on what? Begin the day with the Bible in your lap. Now, why is that such a powerful and important thing? And if you're not doing it, let me encourage you to begin. And of course, those of you who have to get up at 3 a.m. and go to work, then sometime during the day. But daily, you're inputting into your brain God's principles so that your worldview daily is being shaped and formed. And it informs your thinking. It informs your decision-making. You're having with a problem with a child. Your biblical worldview directs you. And you're having challenges at work. Or you're having whatever. It doesn't matter. We're interpreting life through our worldview. Now, you say, well, man, that's a little strange. Let me tell you, you're already interpreting life through something And most of us are getting our information through sources that don't emphasize God's way of doing things. And so, beginning the day with the Bible in your lap, it helps you to begin to think properly about the world around us. Do you want God's power working in your life? Do you want that blessing today? 
Turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Over and over and over, this is the emphasis of Scripture. Here's another one we've memorized as a church family. But what a verse. This verse is the only place in the English Bible that has the word success in it. You want to be a success? This is a verse about success. And you know what it teaches? Same thing I've been saying. It's an affirmation of the the sermon so far. Joshua 1 and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You talk about it with people. But thou shalt meditate. Bring it up over and over like the couch you in or could. You meditate on it day and night. But it's not enough just to think about it that you may observe to do. See, you obey it. You carry it out. According to all that is written therein, and then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Isn't that a great verse of Scripture? Those are God's promises to us. What a wonderful way to start a new year. Meditating, making God's Word the core of our thinking so that we interpret life in a biblical manner. That's the key to the blessed life. Now, go with me to the other end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation is way over there in your Bible now. Right before the maps. (laughs) Okay. Revelation chapter 1. And look at verse 3. And you're going to see that from one end of the Bible to the other, it's the same thing. Psalm 1, Revelation 1, Joshua 1, repetitively. Revelation 1 and 3, blessed is he that readeth, begins the day with the Bible in his lap. And they that hear the words of this prophecy, coming to church, and keep obedience to them, living them out. Keep those things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. So on Wednesday nights, I'm teaching 15 benefits of consistently studying the Bible. I'm telling you the benefits of what those verses promise. I debated about whether I should do this. I don't like preachers who make themselves the heroes of their own stories. But this is my story. This is Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading plan, 2008. This is 2009, 2010, 2011. They're falling apart. 2012, 2013, 2014, 15, two-year plan. 2016, just finished it. You know why I keep those? It's 10 years in a row reading the Bible all the way through. And someday, when I'm going to be laid out in the box, and a few of y'all will be around and take me out to the cemetery there, and my family's going to start going through these things. And you know, Will and Wallace and Riley and some of these little kids will say, what is that? Well, that's granddaddy's Bible reading record. Can you believe granddaddy read the Bible through every year? 
It's my legacy. That may be the most valuable legacy I leave to them. Granddaddy was a Bible man. He began the day with the Bible on his lap. He tried to live out his principles. I held a funeral yesterday. Boy, I've had a lot of Saturday funerals recently, haven't I? And I held a funeral for Elaine McCormick. Elaine was an older woman, passed away. Been a member of the church here for 17 years. And uh, when it came time to plan the funeral this week... Uh, her, I think her cousin, his name is Ron Taylor. He is the association, he's the missions director for the PD Association, the Baptist Association over in the uh, eastern part of the state. And Ron came over and said, Elaine was my cousin. And so, you know, he was going to do the eulogy and read some scripture and so on. We talked about Elaine. He showed up yesterday. He said, I brought Elaine's Bible. And there was this Bible that he had, an old maroon-looking Bible. I mean, that thing was falling apart. He actually pulled the page up and read from the page because it had long ago fallen out of the Bible. And you look at that Bible, and it's stained, and every page on it has a note. Everything I ever said that she, when she was here, I think she wrote it down in some form, and it was all over. She wrote on top of the text. and I, I mean, it was just a mess. But Ron held that old Bible up with a piece of paper falling out of it. And he said, this is Elaine's Bible. I've never seen anything impress me more. A Bible that is falling apart is usually owned by someone who is not. And people who fall apart usually have a Bible still in the box. If you'll build your life on God's Word, my, what God can do to use you. Now, does this mean you're going to live the American dream? You're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and your kid's always going to knock the top off the SAT, and you're never going to have any problems, and everybody's going to love you? No. You see, the focus of Psalm 1 and Matthew 5, the focus here is to build Christian character. It's not to make us materially prosperous though that may be included, very often is. Now, I've got to hurry. I want you to notice, though, that this man's life is compared to a tree. A tree. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Why do you think God put that wonderful analogy there? A tree, not a reed, which would be blown by the wind and be unstable. Not a bush that would be flimsy. Not a flower that would be temporary, a tree, a big, strong tree. Not only just a tree, but it's a planted tree. If a tree is planted, it means somebody had some usefulness for it, some some purpose involved in the tree, right? If the tree's been planted, it didn't just grow up. And we plant trees for specific purposes. Notice also it's an evergreen tree. His leaf does not wither. He's the same in all seasons. The leaves don't fall off. He's always green. He is consistent. And then look at verse 3. He is fruitful. He is like a tree that is fruitful. You have all kinds of purposes for a tree. The tree can 
produce, people plant a tree for shade. We plant trees for wind barriers and put several of them in a row. We plant trees for nuts, almonds, walnuts, although all nuts don't grow on trees, I've long since found out too. But um, they produce fruit, and all fruit doesn't grow on trees either. So fruits and nuts grow in a lot of places in my experience in life, huh? Somebody said California was the land of fruits and nuts. I said a lot of people from California have moved to South Carolina too, I can tell you that. Fruitful, all kinds of different purposes. Maybe planted it for lumber, planted it for beauty, but it has some purpose that God has in mind for the tree. Jesus even said in Luke chapter number six and verse 44, Jesus said, you can know the type of tree that it is by its fruits. If it's an apple tree, it's going to always produce apples, obviously. You know, it identifies the type of tree. And then Jesus said something really profound that applies now to us in a practical way. In John 15, 16, he said, I have chosen you, you Christians, you members of the Baptist temple, that you should go forth, that you should, he said, I have chosen you and I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Now stop, listen, look up here at me. What is the fruit of a Christian? What is the fruit that the Lord has ordained and commissioned and chosen you to bear? There are two kinds of fruits I'd specifically name to you. One, there's the fruit of the Spirit, the kind of character and person that we ought to be with love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness or kindness and goodness or righteousness and faith and meekness and self-control. That's fruit, the character that he wants to produce in us. And the second fruit he wants to produce, Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 1 and verse 13, he said to the Romans, I want to come and visit you that I may have some fruit among you, meaning people. The fruit of reproducing your life by leading other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Two kinds of fruit the Bible specifically says we're to bear. We're to reach other people for Christ and we're to have the character qualities that the Holy Spirit's fruit produces in our lives. And then it ends with such a great promise in verse 3. The blessed life. Underline this, underscored in your Bible. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Isn't that good? Whatever he does, whatever you can do, God says, I will help you and I will prosper you if you'll meet those conditions. And I don't have time to deal with the ungodly man other than I want to mention one thing about him. The way of the ungodly is not so. The ungodly person's life is radically different. See, a Christian has a transformation there because of God's word working in his life. And it compares the man, look in your Bible there, I don't know what verse it is, but in Psalm 1, it compares the ungodly man to chaff, the chaff on the wheat, that outer husk that's dead, 
and comes off and they throw the wheat up in the air and the husk blows away. It's dead. It has no value. It has no worth. The husk is, the chaff is the little brown things that are at the bottom of your popcorn popper when the, when the popcorn pops and you throw them out. They have no value. And the ungodly man's life has no value. It's driven by the wind. It has no will. It's not anchored down. It's God's picture of the ungodly man of Psalm number one. So if you want to be blessed today, here are the conditions. Don't be influenced by the world around you. Develop a biblical worldview of thinking by reading and studying and applying God's word in your life and thinking about it on your, throughout the days of your life. And whatever you do will prosper. Stand to your feet with me and bow your head if you will, please.